Uh, good morning, family. My name is Amber Field, and I am an OG Renaissance family member. Been here since way back in the day. Um, and it's just always such a blessing to be here with you all. I love that the Lord gives me this opportunity and gives us this opportunity to spend time together. So I pray that we would connect. Let's pray. I'm going to take this earring off too. <laughs> Father God, amen. You are awesome. You are mighty. You are loving. We love you. Lord, you have put uh, on our hearts, Lord, a word today, and we open our hearts to you expectantly, joyfully, longingly to deepen our relationship with you. So Father, I ask that in this moment, in this time together, that we would uh, hear only your word, Lord, that only your word would come out of my mouth. And in the end, we would just see you more clearly in the way you work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, everybody. So I have two incredible daughters. I'm going to embarrass them so much because they're almost teenagers, and so, but I'm going to do it anyway. They're sitting over here. These are my girls. Ava is eight, Kira is 10, and if you ask them, they are almost nine and almost 11. So this week, though, Ava has been playing around and telling mommy my tooth hurts because her tooth is wiggly. And so she's been waiting for that tooth to break free. And so a couple days ago, she comes home from camp with the tooth in the little envelope in her, in her hand. And she's like, mommy, I lost my tooth. So that night, of course, what does she do? She puts the tooth under her pillow because she is waiting for the tooth fairy to come. Okay, so the next morning, we're up, we're ready. I actually get up early. I'm in the kitchen making breakfast, and she walks into the kitchen. She says, Mommy, the tooth fairy did not come. <laughs> okay, y'all, one second. I was really tired after I left her room the night before, and I just fell out. And so I look at her, and I think, I scramble around in my head, and I said, look, sweetie, I said, are you sure? Are you sure you could not find the tooth? Go back um, and just give it a minute. Maybe, you know, just give it a second. Go get dressed and then look again. So I'm thinking she's in the bathroom where she usually gets dressed. And, um, and I go, I grab the loot and I run in, and I go into her room and she's there and she's moving all her stuffed animals, all her pillows. She is really searching for this tooth. And so then I was like, baby, you, you gotta give it a second. Just go in the bathroom and, just, and then when you come back after you're dressed, then you can look. Okay, so she goes away. I go ahead and I slide the money in a place where I'm like, see, she didn't look that place. So then a few minutes later, she's dressed, she comes in the kitchen, she's like, mom, here it is. And she pulls out a $10 bill, because you know it was the transgression fee that I needed to give her <laughs> for the mishap. And so she's like, mom, you're the tooth fairy. I know. And I said, Okay, so in my head, I was like, you know, we've had these conversations before. I'm pretty sure she knows the truth about the truth fairy. But I looked at her and I felt really bad and I said, sweetheart, are you sure? 
And he said, um, I said, did I, did I ruin your belief? And she's like, no, mom, I know there's no tooth fairy. I just wanted the money. <laughs> so Ava believes that when she loses a tooth and when she puts it under the pillow, that it will then turn into money. Okay, one naturally follows the other. And in her world that she loses a tooth in, that it's going to produce some change for her to go to the deli or get some candy or put in her, um, her bank where she's saving up for an iPhone. And so, you know, I think a lot of the times, though, we can resonate with that. That resonates with us. We're, we're very much so the same way. Not in losing teeth. I think we've all come to realize the truth about that. But we have very logical progressions in our brain. We believe, for example, that water keeps us hydrated. So what do we do? We drink the water, right? And then, for many of us, we believe that plastic water bottles are very bad for the environment, so we've started using reusable water bottles. Our beliefs lead us to act in very specific ways. That's the way we work. At least it's the way that we should work, right? Um, the truth is that it's so easy for our beliefs to affect our behavior. But if we're being honest, we know that that's not always the way things are about the way we believe, especially when it comes to our faith. Right, family? So James has a lot to say about this. And in fact, in this epistle that he wrote, this letter, in the entire book of James, he calls us to action. The brother of Jesus, he provides very practical advice throughout the book of James. And he says, listen, don't just call yourself a Christian, be like Christ. And so I hope that today in our time together, that we do more than hear James's words and we do more than just nod our heads in agreement, but that we in faith are moved to action just like Jesus. So we're going to look at our passage today in two parts, real easy. What faith is not and what faith is. So let's get into it. We are in the book of James. We're in chapter 2. We're in verses 14 through 26. You can join me in your Bible. It's up on the screens. And if you are here uh, from home, you can look uh, as well on the screen. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions uh, were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So first, let's clear something up real quick. Verse 14, if we look back, says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So for some of us, we're thinking, now wait a minute. Didn't Paul say in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved? And that means that Christ's death and resurrection in and our belief in it. That's what saves us. Faith in Christ alone. But then that makes us ask this question. Is my belief not enough? Is it faith or works? And the answer is yes. It is a faith that works. Real faith works. It is your J-O-B, because you have to show up and do something. One scholar says, without works, we actually don't truly believe the truths we claim to believe. So I want to challenge us to ask the most important question here. Why is our ability to be like Jesus so far from our belief in Jesus. And here's a, a couple thoughts for us. Because for some of us, the answer is the world, the people in it, have let us down. That the way that we were supposed to be taken care of didn't happen. And our guard is up. And our pain is strong. And the strength of what you have experienced is stronger than what you cannot see. And I will be honest with you, I do not know everything, if that is you, that you have experienced, but I can imagine that it is truly overwhelming. And so as a result, you're not aware of the ways that God has already shown up in your life. But I want to ask you a question today, if if that's you. Do you always want to have your guard up? Aren't you ready to relax your shoulders a little bit? Do you want to be able to fully trust God with your whole life? So that some of you, for others, you've accomplished everything. If you were to look at that list that you made a few years back of what you wanted, you have checked 
every single box. And God has been delivering, right? You got the job, you got the car, you got the house, you got the family, the relationship. But where is God in your life right now? If you were to look, would you say that God has just really been a waiter? That every single time you ask him for something, he just delivers? So if, it, if that is you, I want you to ask this question. Is your faith something that's constantly compelling you to get closer and closer to our Father? Are you living out the faith that you say you have? So, another example, and this one is about me, so I'm going to get real because I always tell y'all we're family and I want to connect and I want to be honest with you. So maybe you're like me. I believe in God so deeply. I wake up and say, good morning, thank you, Lord, for this day every single day. And I trust him, but y'all, it is a daily fight for me. My greatest temptation every single day is that I work myself ragged because I battle insecurity. And in a lot of ways, I overfunction. I do the most because I struggle to relax and just trust that God has got it. And so the question I'm asking myself and to any of you who feel the same way is, isn't it time to let go of the worry and the fear that tells us that if we don't do it all by ourselves, that it is not going to get done? So I know that most of us fall into one of those categories, or maybe two of them, or maybe you know what, you see yourself in all three of those experiences. So what I want us to do today together is just break this all down. And I hope that we would all leave here with the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, continuing to transform our faith to be true faith right? A faith that trusts God, a faith that needs God, a faith that lets God be God in our lives. That is a faith that works. And we're going to see today that James uses two examples. First, to explain what faith is not. Faith is not just words. And faith is not just head knowledge. In verses 15 to 17, James calls most of us out on the way that we let our faith live out only by our words. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, then what good is it? And in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Whew. Family, we see this false faith wielded at us every single time a mass shooting takes place. We see people in positions of power, you know, the ones who can take action. They send their thoughts and prayers to the victims and the families as if that does something. And we know that the cost is uh, so great 
perhaps for their power or for their elections, right? If they would actually do something, so they make hollow statements of solidarity. Jackie Hill Perry recently said, we think making a post is a sufficient means of changing the world. And meanwhile, she says, we're just talking and doing nothing. So I ask us right now, when you respond to an Instagram post or a Facebook post where someone has shared something that's been challenging in their lives, and maybe even a friend that has called you or texted you and shared something that has happened in their worlds, do you respond with, you're in my thoughts and prayers? And then is that actually true? And does it mean that when you actually go to say your prayers at night or you take a moment with the Lord, do you actually lift that person up? Do they stay on your hearts? And I ask, how many of us actually in that moment, right there and then, do you stop and say, let's pray? But the point here is that faith is more than just words. Without action, faith is dead. And so the second example that James provides is faith is not just head knowledge. So he says, in, starting in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good, even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And so what James is saying here about this false faith is that merely believing is not enough. This is this intellectual agreement of his existence that, you see, having just this intellectual knowledge is not um, evidence that we know God the way that he wants us to know him, right? To know something is not just recognition of existence, right? To know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We can all say that. And James would come to any of us here that's able to spit off some facts about Jesus, about God, about the Bible, about these stories, and he would say, great, you believe, amazing, fantastic. Even the demons believe and they tremble. And the question then is not what you believe. The question is, how has what you believe impacted the way that you're living? And so then, if faith is not words, and if it is more than head knowledge, what is it? Well, faith is active. Faith moves just from our heads. It moves from our mouths and it lives in our hearts, which then moves through our hands and our feet. Decades ago, I heard this story recently, decades ago there was this daredevil who told the world, hey everybody, I am going to tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. And so everyone's like, okay, let's see what you got. Thousands of people show up. And he proceeds to tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. And of course, they're amazed. And so then he says, all right, everybody, I did that. How many of you think I can do this with my eyes closed? 
And they're like, okay, let's see this. So he does. He tightrope uh, tight walks across Niagara Falls with his eyes closed. Now he says, watch me do this holding a chair. And he does that. And the crowd is going wild, right? He gets to the other side. He's done all these things. And he's like, okay, everybody, I'm not done yet. He's like, how many of you think I can walk across Niagara Falls with somebody on my back? Y'all. These people apparently go crazy. They're screaming. They're cheering. They're like, yes, walk across Niagara Falls with your eyes closed with somebody on your back. And then he says, who wants a ride? (laughs) How many people raised their hands for that trip? One person said, that is faith. That is real faith. Real faith doesn't work without action. So That was an amazing story. I don't know if any of you would be like, yes, I will go with this person across Niagara Falls on his back. But we do know real faith. Let's think about these chairs that we're all sitting in, right? You see a chair. You all walked in. Perhaps if you're at home, you you are sitting down right now, right? You walked in here. You saw the chairs. You know what they do. In fact, if you came in and there were already people there, you see people sitting in these chairs. And so then um, you know what you need that chair to do. But how do you prove that you have faith in the chair? What is the thing you need to do? You need to sit in it. Just knowing what it does, seeing other people do what it does, is not the same thing as actually sitting in the chair. That is real faith. And it is life-altering, and it requires action. And James goes on to explain exactly what this looks like. And he says, starting in verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did and what he offered his son, um, excuse me, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so what I want us to do right now is just take a moment and go back to Genesis and really understand what's happening um, with Abraham in this moment. So after promising that Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the stars and grains of sand, God tells Abraham to take his only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain. Now, Abraham, he goes, he gets two servants, he gets all his things together, he takes Isaac and he makes the trek. And when he gets to a certain point, he leaves the two servants behind to just make the trek with him and Isaac. And then Abraham says before they go off and they've left the servants behind, he says, we will worship 
and then we will come back to you. So when Isaac asks about the lamb, a bit later, they're, they're right up there, they're right towards the mountain. Abraham says, God will provide, son. And at the moment, the knife was in Abraham's hand to sacrifice his son. An angel says, stop. And he reveals a ram to be sacrificed instead. Now, I know so many of us, we hear this story, and it is incredibly uncomfortable. How do we understand a God who would make such a brutal command and ask for something that was so contradictory to the promise that he had made Abraham earlier on. But there's actually something else going on in that story that speaks to what it is that James wants us to understand in this passage. God didn't test Abraham because he didn't know him. God already knew Abraham's heart. He knew exactly what Abraham was going to do. He wouldn't have asked him to do it if he didn't already know. Abraham's story was about Abraham knowing God. This was an opportunity for God to help Abraham know him better. God wanted Abraham to see God in action so that he could grow in relationship with him. And we, too, need opportunities for God to show us who he is so that we can grow in relationship with him. He is putting us in situations that we don't understand and we don't like, but he wants us to rely on him. And to actually trust him, that can only happen when we are in the situations that allow for it. And so for some of us, this is in your parenting. God is going to push you to trust him in your relationship with your children. Some of you are in friendships or in relationships, and God is going to put you in situations that cause you to trust him. Maybe you're going to need to see God in the way that you do your work. Or maybe God wants you to see what he does when you just rest. This is what God wants for us. His heart is so that we grow and that he grows us. And the only way that we get to grow and know that God is trustworthy is by trusting him. While we know that our acts of faith grow us, it is not our actions that prove our faithfulness to God. He knows your heart better than you do. It is God that delights in proving his faithfulness to us. Scripture says, you remember, it says God called Abraham friend because he knew him. And this is what God is after in our lives, family. If we let him work, a faith that works, and it takes the focus off of ourselves and puts it on our Father where it belongs. 
And James, excuse me, Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 1, 7. He says, these have come, these trials, these situations, these circumstances have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And here's the good news. The one that calls us to walk by faith, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. He has already shown us the way, right? We look closely at Jesus' life, everything he did, modeled, not just words, but actions. Jesus didn't just say that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, him, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't just say that. He went to the cross with the most life-altering action in world history. Jesus was more than words. Jesus was action. So what does that mean for us? Paul tells us in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, to run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Faith means that we believe and act on the truth that Jesus is risen. Our faith, family, is more than just words. It is action. It is active. So this week... Let's practice faith that works. And there are three things that I invite us to do. The first thing is to think about something you're doing right now that's really hard, that you're called to. Parenting is hard. Marriage is hard. Moving to a new place is hard. Forgiving someone is hard. For me, it's my job. I have an incredible job. And let me tell y'all, every single day, I have to have conversations, I have to make plans, I have to solve problems that I've never had to do before, and they are really hard. And I'm constantly questioning my skills and fighting insecurity. And I wonder for you, as you're thinking about that thing that you're in the midst of that's hard, what are you fighting? So identify, what is the hard thing that you have been called to do right now? And then I want you to do the second thing. Tell God you believe that he's with you. Tell him you believe you're with me in the midst of this hard thing. And then I want you to tell him you want to believe that he has equipped you to do whatever that hard thing is. Mark 9.24 gives us words for this, right? It says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And then the third thing I want us to do this week is to show up to that hard thing like you know God is with you. Like you know God is here and that Jesus is risen. 
And for me, that looks like actually working on a challenging project or having a challenging conversation instead of putting it off and procrastinating. So for you, where do you get to demonstrate real faith? Will you finally rest? Will you leave your job? Will you stay at your job? Will you tell the truth? Will you forgive? Because you know God is with you. Faith is not some weak, elusive feeling. Faith is strong. Faith is a vigorous confidence that is built on who God is. And even though you cannot see him, even though you do not understand everything that he is doing, that you know in faith you can face anything you have because he is with you. Jordan told me this story about his grandmother that used to sing and tell and say, you can't make me doubt him. I know too much about him. Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 17 say, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, family, through faith. Let's pray. Father God, faith works. Lord, we know who you are. We believe who you are. That's why we are sitting here today, Lord God. But would you forgive us of all the times that we don't take action? Father, I pray that we could name the hard thing this week, and then we can say we know you're there with us, Lord, and then we can take action like you have risen, Lord, that you are with us. Father, we need you. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. Amen.